0: Hello and welcome to Knowles Quality Control. I'm your host, Ben Meyerson. This is presented by Tomahawk Nation. And I'm very glad to be joined today by a special guest, Brendan Sinone of Knowles 24-7. Brendan, uh, first of all, we have to get this out of the way. If your Wi-Fi goes out at any point, <laughs> I know you've been having issues. Don't oh, yeah. worry, everyone. We'll get Brendan back in. It's not because there's any late breaking news, although, you know, I don't I don't want to project anything, but uh it is because brendan has been having some issues but i hope we'll get through this uh clearly brendan how are you doing right now i know we're kind of in the thick of recruiting season so i'm sure it's a very busy time for you
1: it it is yeah uh, internet pending uh i've been okay the last few days and, and so the last month or so has very much so been in the weeds with recruiting stuff and and know twenty four seven. I'm kind of like third, third or fourth in the ladder of actually covering like recruiting stuff. But I've been trying to dip my toes much more into that lately. And so, yeah, as tired and as exhausted as I am, being out there almost every other day or so and standing outside in the heat for four or five hours at the time. Uh, Chris Nee, Zach Blaustein, Dane Drooper, Draper, are all uh, are all really tired as well. But we've kind of reached the finish line. Then we've made it. Uh, there's official visit weekend coming up. But as far as the camps and stuff, exhale. We're done. We made it through the the grind of June. Yeah,
0: that camp grind is quite the grind. And I only went to elite camp myself, so I, I can't even imagine what doing that week in week out is uh, like. Especially...
1: Uh, elite elite camps a walk in the park because it's inside and it's just a couple hours. And then once you get into the uh, woo, once you get into the the seven on seven tournament with a hundred degree heat and forty teams, yeah, man, that's a, it's a different animal for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very different even from what the practices we were doing all throughout the spring, where it was just twice a week, you know, 4 to 7 p.m. It was kind of nice during most of those days. But I also mm-hmm. see we got Adam Brown here in the comments. Shout out to a. Coach AB, My offensive line coach. Well, I guess not anymore. Uh, more like your offensive My line offensive coach, My offensive line Brendan. coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, shout out to Coach A.B. Uh, he's, he's a great guy. Um, but, Brendan, this the title of this I have to admit is a little bit, I don't want to say clickbait, but this is quite the aggressive title. Does Mike Norvell, does FSU have a recruiting problem? But I, I think the question I, I'm really asking and uh, the thing we're trying to get at here is, you know, given how pivotal this upcoming season is for FSU football, for Mike Norvell for the future, how do you feel about the roster that they've built? It, with the transfer portal, with the recruiting yeah. class, do you think they're in a good place for 2022?
1: All right, so good place is so I like the use of, of pivotal because running joke on on the benches every month being a pivotal month in the recruiting world. Uh, it's always pivotal each month, more pivotal than the next. Uh, so in terms of. Uh, if we're going to say a good place, I guess it define your your parameters of what a good place is. If, is this a fair explanation of it, Then, Like a good place would be progress getting to seven or eight wins and showing growth. Is that, is that a reasonable good place? Yeah. I, I would say putting
0: yourself in a position to succeed. Right. Okay. What, however, the, the staff will define that, which I, I think you laid that out pretty perfectly seven, eight wins improvement.
1: Yeah. It gives you a chance to kind of keep selling stuff. And so, because the recruiting trail has been a little stagnant and stale because through two seasons you can't really sell hope anymore you have to start selling proof of concept right and and that's kind of with the lack of wins you haven't been able to sell that and you really need the season to get here and to kind of turn things around to be able to kind of sell your vision because the hope aspect of of the recruiting pitch has kind of run its course which happens after a year or two with recruiting uh cycles so as far as the roster is concerned, so at those 24-7, we're like everyone where we do some sort of list in the offseason at the roster. I say most important, and most important is a nebulous term, right? Like we get all define important in different ways. Um, to me, it's just kind of trying to figure out, like, who's the most irreplaceable player who, and trying to factor in, like, different position uh, strikes. Like quarterback's obviously going to weigh a little bit more than, say, a punter or something like that. But right. ultimately kind of doing that exercise and going down the list of the entire roster – Uh, I think I forgot Greedy Vance. I need to apologize to him. I just legitimately forgot was someone who probably should have been the 30, 40 range and and I forgot. So anyways, doing that, Ben, I feel markedly better doing it, uh, doing this list this year than I did last year, last year going through it. I'm like, ah, this is unless a lot of things break right for them. And part of that was McKenzie Milton, Andrew Parchment, Amari Gaynor were all top five guys who need to kind of take a big step or, or be healthy or whatnot. Uh, If that didn't happen, I, I thought it was probably a five or six win. Uh, team and and that lo and behold is what they were looking at this roster. I feel much better about the depth. I don't feel great about like the star power in the top end of the roster, but I, I think just collectively top to bottom, uh, I think it's going to be a more competitive roster. And it wasn't that I was an uncompetitive team last year. Uh, you just had if you had an injury or two like at a certain position group, it really dismantled you. I think you'd withstand that a little bit better this year. So. Uh, In terms of like if this roster is in a good place, I think it's in a better place than last year. I think you're gonna be able to push to get seven wins. Uh, Maybe if things break right, you can get to eight. Uh, But uh, I think we're on the cusp of it being a quote unquote, good place right now. Yeah, it's it's borderline, uh, if you will. I think you
0: you kind of nailed the part that, that where you're talking about the list of the important players for this season. I, I was seeing a little bit of what you guys were talking about, that initial 36 to 40 that you have over on Knowles 24-7, which is Thank in the you. link in the description. Uh, the depth of this roster is, is going to be so important for the season because just looking back on last season, we'll talk about, you know, the offensive line specifically and another topic, but just across the board, the bad luck that this team had um, was insane. I, I mean, week to week, you didn't know who was going to be starting on the offensive line. Week to week, it was a question of which quarterback's going to be healthy enough to play. Uh, there, there were all kinds of factors that, and, and, and things that could go your way that didn't. That I, I feel like this roster is in a much better place in the sense that they, they, are built to sustain that kind of bad luck. You know, there's only so much bad luck you can sustain in a season, but uh, they position themselves well enough with positions like offensive line and wide receiver to where if they have issues like they had last season. They won't be in such a dire situation. Specifically, I I think that offensive line is going to be one of the most, if not the most improved position group, just out of sheer depth. Right, Brendan. I, I mean, you guys were talking about this on uh Knowles twenty four sevens YouTube the other night, that they probably have eight offensive linemen they're comfortable with this mm-hmm. season. And that's not even including guys that you know we think potentially could play if need be, like Aloy Willis or um Rod Orr. There the, there are some nice depth pieces along this offensive line where you know, going into last season, those, those first six games, especially, Brendan, I, I kind of did a study about a month ago looking into the, the first half and the second half of the season. And they had only the, the same starting offensive line like combination from one game to the next once in that oh, first sure. six game stri- stretch, which I, you know, as good as your roster is, as good as the run game might be, as good as, you know, the play design might be, you just can't be successful if you're dealing with that much bad luck.
1: I, I was joking with, I think it was with Kev the other day in the group chat and say, like, we should just go through and, and do a story on the unfortunate luck of Mike Norvell in the first yeah. two years of his tenure at Florida State. And you know, just even from the timing of taking over uh, amid a pandemic and you know, this spring being the first spring, they've been here for three springs now. This is the first time they've been able to go out on the road and recruit and evaluate during spring football. Think about what a disadvantage that is. Uh, And and then when you're trying to like rebuild a roster, and this is a rebuild, make no mistake about it. But uh, in terms of the offensive line, and you mentioned wide receivers too for both those positions, Ben. I am a proponent of if you have an issue, especially now in the transfer portal uh, era, if you have problems, you can throw numbers at it. And really, this is an odds game. Recruiting, uh, evaluation, even at the NFL level, uh, a lot of times, they'll tell you it, it's, an, it's an odds game. It's why teams are like valuing in the NFL, like third, fourth round picks and, and stockpiling that because at a certain point, you can only evaluate so much better than another expert. It's about accumulating and throwing numbers out of problems. So, at wide receiver, you had what, four transfers in the transfer portal, which to improve, which was probably one of, if not the worst, wide receiving cores in the power of five. Offensive line. You add four transfers in the transfer portal, as well as six true freshmen to the class, so ten guys total. Yeah. I did the math the other day. I think it was, you added like three thousand three hundred pounds or something like that to the offensive line. Uh, and, and yeah, and they signed more guys in this cycle on the offensive line than they did from twenty seventeen to twenty nineteen combined, or as many. Uh, and, and that's kind of when the offensive line started falling apart, right? You stop throwing numbers at it. It's like you you basically uh, expose yourself to. All these you mentioned bad luck, like if someone doesn't work out, if someone gets hurt, if someone has grade issues or whatever, you expose yourself to the elements of of life of college football, which is injuries, grades, uh, just all sorts of different stuff. Um, so the offensive line, yeah, like they've they've, I, I will give the staff credit. I mean, I think there's issues on the recruiting trail, and they fell short of attaining star power in this past recruiting cycle. But in terms of under having the self awareness to know like these are positions of need. Wide receiver and offensive line were rectified in that regard. Now, we'll see if how much of a hit rate you have on these transfers to potentially help you, but as we're talking about like just withstanding some bad luck, injuries, uh, you do push yourself in a better position for sure uh, just based on sheer numbers.
0: Yeah, and I also think what they did with the offensive line in particular with the transfer portal – just looking at the type of guys they brought in, it's a lot of versatile guys, right? Caden mm-hmm. Lyles, I feel like, is the only player who's really just a true. He's a center. Center you yeah. really probably don't want him playing any other positions, but I oh, mean, although plus, he played
1: def- he played defensive line uh, at it for like a, a season, I think it was for half a season. So even then, versatile, okay. I suppose.
0: Yeah, you can use him in uh, in, in two uh, sides of the field, but I mean, guys like uh, Dimitri Emmanuel. I remember, you know, he first signed. I'm looking at his PFF page. I'm I'm like. Wow, what position can't he play? Because I, I feel like if anyone goes down anywhere, he's the guy you're trying to plug in. If it's not him, um, I, they just brought in the SEC offensive lineman who I don't want to butcher his name at mm-hmm. all. So I'm not even going to put that out there, Brendan. So I'm waiting for the Seminoles to give us the official pronunciation guide for it. Unless you want to be brave enough to go for it,
1: uh, J- Jastin, I can say confidently. Uh, it yeah. is Jastin's the first name, and I believe it's turn it, it's either turn a time or turn a teen. Uh, and and I asked the FSU Sports Info director the other day, and I've asked Jastin too. My memory's so bad, Ben, unless I write it down, I don't remember at this point. So we'll call him Jazz. Uh, how about that for, yeah. for short right now? I think that's safe. uh,
0: but I just I mean, you can feel Alex Atkins' imprint on this roster, especially in the type of guys he's bringing in. You know, I talked about the versatility, but it's all these guys who you see moving in space when when you're trying to go back and watch the film on them. It seems like not only was it a concerted effort, like you're talking about, Brendan, to throw numbers at this position, but throw numbers at the type of guys they're trying to get at this position. So with where the offensive line is at now, do you feel like, You know, obviously this is trending headed in the right direction, but, I mean, given how bad they were over that five-year stretch prior to this year, do you feel like they're maybe in the best place they've been since Jimbo's been the head coach?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think going back to probably – I think we had had a discussion on the bench. I think Chris Need asked one time whether it was like since 2016, which they had a pretty – decent offensive line. Some issues, but they had Rod Johnson, who was an NFL-caliber player. Uh, then Glenn Dickerson had gotten her, but he was obviously an NFL-caliber player. So yeah, probably since the end of the Jimbo era, this has the potential to be the most solid offensive line. And it's the accumulation of you know, guys who were thrown to the fire early in their career like Darius Washington, Robert Scott, Marie Smith ent- entering you know season three or four, respectively. Uh, and then the veterans that you bring via the transfer portal. Well, there was Dylan Gibbons last year, and he steps in and I, just to show you where the offensive line was at, like he's probably your best offensive lineman last year. I'm not sure that's too much of a debate, but we can make the argument for a couple of guys, but yeah, he's right up there in the top two or three for sure. And he was a career reserve who barely played at Notre Dame, which shows you how far this offensive line still has to go to get to uh, competing at the highest level in the trenches. But you, know, you have someone like him who's you know, 22, 23 years old and a veteran, and then you're bringing in Caden Lyles, who obviously a veteran, bless Harris, someone who has – Two years of starting experience, and you mentioned Demetri Emmanuel has three years of starting experience. I think he started 24 consecutive games uh, yeah. at Charlotte. So, so yeah, you, you all of a sudden bring in you have this combination of guys who have were young but are no longer young, and you have guys who you bring in as, as you know as veterans. So, uh, in theory, like yeah, that should really help solidify things and allow you. And the Jason J- 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 Turner team too has you know 600 career snaps in the SEC. Yeah. Uh, not all those great snaps, but still experience, I guess, counts for something. So, yeah, you, you have the ability to uh, kind of weather the storm a little bit on the offensive line, which you just haven't done in recent years. Like last year, you mentioned all the different combinations they had to go through uh, through the starting lineup. That's not even counting, like, the in-game stuff. I think AB counted 21 different offensive line combinations yeah. throughout the course of the season, which is uh, – you're like probably like 10 is what you should be going through through the season with some kind of attrition or whatnot. And part of that is you know, injuries. And then part of that is just guys not performing well. And you're having a mix and match and trying to figure things out. You're able to kind of, I think, uh, ideally jump past that part of the rebuild now of that position group where you're not having to continually take guys in and out and try to try them out. You can now probably have a few players who you feel decent about in certain spots. And withstand injuries to where, like, if one guy goes down, you know what your backup plan is now. You're not trying to have to figure it out from week to week and and do patchwork, uh, which which should be helpful for continuity throughout the course of the season.
0: I also think by doing that, Brendan, they do a great job of protecting the young guys on this roster, right? They don't Mm -hmm. have to put guys uh, through fire, essentially. Whereas last season, it just became such an issue where you talk about the 21 different offensive line combinations you just can't be successful as an offense in the way you, you want to be if you're dealing with that much turnover at a position that is all about consistency at a group that is all about having that unit be a whole so I, I think they did a great job of, of raising the floor for the season like you said I, I they're not where they need to be yet they can still really improve and I, I think Alex Atkins is going to keep doing that I have a lot of personal belief in him and mm-hmm. I, I think He's shown that this last recruiting cycle, these transfer cycles, that if if you give him the opportunity, he's going to go and get the guys. He wants that fit his system well. Um, I I guess to end off this offensive line discussion, though, is there one guy that you've been particularly impressed by throughout the spring Hmm. or maybe anyone who's been coming in since then who you're really excited for on this line?
1: Well, so the spring, I thought, was – to me, a bit of a disappointment on the offensive line because yeah. it signified that while there's still progress, I think it showed just how vulnerable the offensive line still was to an injury or two. Like when one guy uh, had to miss a few days of practice or something, uh, you saw the trickle-down effect through practice to where all of a sudden you know, the backup guard has to come into play and, and your offensive line production, your just offensive production in general drops down, and then that impacts your second-team offensive line so you're Having to pull someone up from the third team, and then the third team, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at the scout team offensive line, and it's you know, a couple walk ons, which is kind of the same place where it was, uh, during the regular season as well. And, and ultimately, like to have remember, this is even like a Jimbo Fisher thing, like he, he thought like throwing a bunch of numbers off its line uh, was sensible because of how it allows you to practice through the course of the season if you're able to have like decent looks, uh, for the trenches. Uh, that will should in theory make everything else better through the course of practice. So I, I thought Ben that in the spring we saw some vulnerability there uh, of just the numbers still weren't great and some of the younger guys still weren't ready. You talk about protecting young guys, it's allowing a Thomas Schrader to not have to rush back from an injury from last spring and kind of take his time, or for uh, a Rod Or to not have he's still really raw for him to not have to to push to play earlier than expected. So when spring ended, I was like, okay, I think you need to add, I remember joking around me, like you need to probably, if you have four uh, transfers you can take, maybe invest in four offensive linemen. Uh, I didn't think that was realistic, but the fact they go ahead and add two, and one of them was not Amarius Mims, unfortunately, because I think that would have certainly, I know that's a sore spot, but it would have certainly changed the complexion of your offensive line. He goes to left tackle, Rob Scott goes to right tackle. All of a sudden you have options with Les Harris, Darius Washington, it changes you completely. Uh, but you still go and you get numbers. So you're able to bring in Antavius Woody, which was nice. We didn't know if that was going to be a thing. Uh, and he cleared academically. So he's on the roster and should help you through the course of the season on scout team. Uh, but then the, the two big additions are Justin Turnatine, and, uh, and he should be able to at least help out for, for depth to be a swing tackle. But who knows? Like maybe if he's in really good shape and he was in better shape you always know, saw him on campus this past week and earlier this summer than he had been at, at South Carolina, like maybe someone who puts it together in an hour never campaign. And Demetri Emanuel, to answer your question directly, Ben, is the guy I'm excited about. Okay. He's a little sawed off. He's six foot two, uh, but you see him in person. It's funny. I was at uh, the mega camp and he was he was talking to one of his former coaches at Charlotte because Charlotte had coaches at the camp. And a coach from another school came over to talk to the Charlotte coach, and he thought he was talking to an FSU staffer at first. And he's like, Oh, is your he player? He's like, You're a grown man. Uh, so he's just, he's got like the, he just looks older. He's got the physique to him of like just someone who's 22, 23 years old, who's been into a college strength program. Uh, and his film from 2019 with Alex Atkins is really promising. Even against Clemson, like he holds his own uh, and is very like willing to be physical in the run game. So, he's someone that I want to really see kind of move around and see if the length like is okay in person, if that's detrimental at the power five level, but he's someone that I think I'm, I'm pretty bullish on. Like I think he steps in and becomes a starter almost instantly and kind of rectifies uh, at least one of your depth concerns on the offensive line. That's,
0: that's a great name to put out there. And that's, you know, it's funny that you go that direction because I think I'm going kind of the opposite way in the sense i'm going for the young guy that they brought in bless harris uh i was honestly really impressed by him in, in the spring atmosphere brendan because i think you know the expectations going into that were kaden lyles is going to be the guy who's going to be that instant starter plug and play you don't have to worry about putting him in but i it quickly became bless harris and i i thought you know wow he may have some things he needs to clean up and Alex Atkins will do a great job of helping him out with that. Uh, his mobility, his physique, uh, just how like hulking he was in those spring practices. I was really impressed and I thought he had some really great battles with guys like Jared Verse, Derek McClendon. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when we were going each and every day to those practices, kind of seeing what was happening in the trenches, that was my favorite battle in the trenches. I love seeing those guys go back and forth. So I really like Bless because I think he's going to be in a good position to get some time this season. But mm-hmm. he's a guy that, you know, two years down the line, I, I think he's going to pay off in dividends. Uh, I, I think he's a really talented player.
1: He's he's big and he moves well. Like you said, the agility and just the frame uh, and, you know, that that's half the battle right there in the offensive line is if you can move well and you have length and strength, like that's going to give you a chance and you have to clean up the technique and whatnot. Like you said, uh, that's where you have to trust in an offensive line coach like Alex Atkins, uh, who's able to kind of maximize the skill set on his, you uh, know, in his unit uh, each year. Um, I thought Ben, to be honest, like when they brought in bless Harris and I went back and watched a couple games of his at Lamar, I didn't think it was anything special at the FCS level. So I had a lot of concerns about him, but I uh, happily yeah. proven wrong based on the spring. Now we'll see, like, is he a starter at this level? Well, I think time will show. He'll definitely have a chance to, I think, at the very least, worst-case scenario, if he's your swing tackle, uh, then I think you have to feel a lot better than what that was last season, which I think uh, – who was the swing – was it Brady Scott when something went it, wrong? I'm not trying it, to be a troll. I just I legitimately can't remember. No, I, I,
0: I believe it was Brady Scott, but even then, because of all the – continuing injuries that they kept having that that became like that who, who that swing tackle became just kept going down and down the pecking order because it was well we have to shift this guy inside and, and we have mm-hmm. to you know fill in a spot here but I, I at the beginning of the season Brady Scott was that guy that they would put okay. in a lot of the time I, I believe I don't know how things panned out towards the end um, I don't think but, about But it.
1: Bless Harris should be, my point is that Bless should be, uh, in theory, again, you know, we're talking about all this stuff <clears throat> in June, so it's all theoretical, but in theory, right. he should be an upgrade over Brady Scott in that role, and, and maybe, just maybe, man, he, he can be a little bit more than, than a swing tackle, we'll see.
0: Yeah, and he'll certainly get the opportunity to compete for it. I think that's going to be the good thing about the offensive line in this fall camp is, there's going to be seven or eight guys competing for five different spots. And I, being in that position, given where this team was last year, um, is huge, I, I think. And, and, and you're kind of nailing that earlier when you said, you know, this is the one of the things that they needed to make sure they, t- they took care of. And honestly, the way I see it, Brendan, is they aren't going to let happen um, what happened last year happen again what happened in 2021 is not going to happen again. And they put themselves in a position to do that or to avoid that at all costs. You know, I guess, I mean, I guess your luck could get worse, but unless you have insanely bad luck, uh, they should be in a much better
1: position. Well, again, that's why you throw numbers at it, right. Is to right. kind of to, to mitigate risk as much as possible. The way I described Justin Turnatine was like, he's an insurance policy. You had one more scholarship to throw out, I believe. Uh, although uh, they don't love us counting the numbers, and as Josh Neuber would say, the numbers always work out, but uh, in general, like, I think that was probably the last available scholarship that that's not being held for uh, one Destin Hill. We don't say his name on my podcast though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Jazz and Turnitine, to me, you, you had that one spot available, you didn't get Damon David from Oregon. Uh, you could maybe have gotten Jazz and Turnitine as a PWO, but you would have to wait that out. Uh, once the scholarship's available, once you realize you can get him enrolled academically, like you go and say, okay, like we can't take the scholarship with us. We might as well use it uh, on this offensive tackle. And again, we're taking out an insurance policy to hopefully bridge and protect against you know, the worst case scenario, which would be you know, multiple injuries at tackle. So you, you kind of withstand that in theory by, by bringing him aboard.
0: Yeah. And of course this is all theoretical. So we're going to mm-hmm. see how this plays out in fall camp. And to me, that's well, when I'm going to be at fall camp uh, and I'm going to be watching this team, the trenches. That's where I'm going to be looking specifically how things are going to pan out on that offensive line. But we're about 25 minutes into the show, Brendan, and we haven't mentioned the quarterback position at all, which honestly, I think might be a record for this pod so far, even though this is about the fifth or sixth episode, but I can't help myself. Um, so I, I want to start by talking, actually not talking, bringing up a comment that one of uh, our viewers was talking about earlier. They wanted to hear your thoughts about Chris Parson commitment. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it is Chris Parson, not, not Chris Parsons. Parsons. Yeah. And I'm glad you corrected that on on social media. But I, I guess what's your? I want you to put a percentage on it because you know, uh, trying to make these predictions, trying to get in the mind of a 17 year old, uh, that that's maybe a little outside of the realm of, of realistic possibility. But mm-hmm how do you feel about how things have gone since, you know, uh, Florida state went out and offered those two other quarterbacks? Because there's been a lot of online chatter. There's been a lot of rumors. There's been a lot of different things we've been seeing. Parsons himself has been posting, you know, different offers he's been getting. We've seen him in different uniforms, even. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about this situation where we were before that, that end of
1: May week and where we are now? So, with Chris Parson, I think what I keep coming back to, Ben, is back in the spring when – I think it was Dante Moore, if I'm not mistaken, when Zach Lawson wrote that Dante Moore was going to be visiting, five-star quarterback will be on campus. And Sorry. and to be fair, Dante was going uh, to Florida State with a trip with, like, I think some of his seven-on-seven team or, you know, kind of was like a group tour. So – it wasn't like this like official visit or something like that. It was a pretty general, like he was going to different schools. But, you know, it's news. Anytime a, if we're not writing about a five-star quarterback being on campus, we're not doing it right. No. Uh, and Chris Parson went and scrubbed FSU stuff from his social media. And at the time, I think uh, the program, you know, people within the program were confused by that. One, because I don't think they were viewing this Dante Moore visit as like this big shift and turning point. Uh, But then also uh, my understanding is is that Chris always knew that there was a chance that a second quarterback would be added to this class. Now having been committed for almost a year and like that, not really being the thing that FSU was doing aggressively. Like I can understand that kind of takes you off guard a little bit, but you know, at that position to be a quarterback and the perceived bell cow of the class uh, to kind of retreat that quickly and that publicly and, and to act that way. I think was an alarming sign. And ever since then, Ben, I was like, that's whether whether FSU started to explore other options, whether FSU struggled during the season or whether Chris Parson ultimately came, or still comes to campus, that wasn't an encouraging behavior. Not to get like a psychoanalysis of, of the mind of a 17-year-old, like you said, it's difficult. But I didn't think that was a thing that was encouraging to see uh, at that position group. Um, or at that specific position. And I think FSU goes through the spring evaluating Chris and like they like him. They think Chris has good tools to him, good physical tools. Uh, but I don't think they're in love with it. And I think that shows in the sense that they started looking through that spring eval period at him and then some other quarterbacks brought Glenn and Ricky Collins and getting offers. This isn't something that FSU planned to do for a long time, but it's something I think, again, going through the spring, they said, all right we think these guys are attainable if we can be aggressive we know there's a calculated risk uh if if we go ahead and, and offer them that we may lose chris parson is chris going to be the guy who gets Florida state where it needs to be in a few years based on some of the things we've seen whether him not developing quite to the extent you would like to physically uh that's again it's not another thing i'm saying is that he's bad i'm providing nuance here is like he's he's solid he's a potentially good power five quarterback is he a program changer i don't think they feel that way about him and then i think the the Dante Moore situation i think also kind of shook people there with him and his commitment to the program and leadership abilities so you go ahead and you start expanding your quarterback board and you say okay we'll roll the dice potentially taking another quarterback scare chris away that's something then you have to weigh the pros and cons ultimately they really really like Brockland I think they've taken their shot at Ricky Collins. He, They both have been in for official visits. I think Ricky Collins is probably going to be Purdue or uh, if LSU comes knocking, which I think they ultimately will depending on some of the dominoes fall. I think it's ultimately Brock Glenn is like their top of their board right now. And he's narrowing down his list. I think he just put out his final five today. Florida state's on it. Uh, the schools who, are probably in the mix for him at Ohio state, depending what, again, there's some dominoes that need to fall in place. Uh, Maybe Texas A&M again, dominoes. And then Auburn, I think it's the main threat for him too, in terms of like schools that like have him atop their wish list and don't have other quarterbacks in play right now. It's Florida state and, and probably Auburn. so I say all that with you asked me for a percentage on Chris Parson, you know, we have him right now as a projected official visitor this weekend. That was the case earlier in the week. Uh, We've reached out to Chris to get confirmation, haven't heard back. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't make it to campus this week. I think that's very much so a coin flip right now, Ben. Um, We'll see. I think it'll be telling. If he shows up to campus, it's hard to see him flipping in the near future here. Uh, If he doesn't show up, then I think the writing's kind of on the wall. I think ultimately by the time this is all said and done, whenever December signing period comes, I think it. I would put like a 20% chance that Chris Parson is in this class. I think it's less likely that he stays a part of the Florida state class than it is likely he remains at this point.
0: And kind of going off that, I guess, because so much of this discussion has to do with the other quarterbacks that they offered, right? Are they going to take two quarterbacks in the class? I want to go down two different roads. If let's say, Lem and we not knowing anything not tr- not trying to assume anything but let's say he does commit to Florida State in the near future do you think it's ultimately just the thing where there's absolutely no chance that chris parson is still part of that class or uh, how would you feel about it if they were to land another quarterback
1: that have? Uh- so, I, I mean, I like they would legitimately like the way the numbers are probably going to fall with the quarterback room and, and anticipating this is more than likely Jordan Travis's last year. and I think the staff is operating under that uh, assumption, uh, even though you'd have one more year of eligibility left. I think, you know, he's been in college. This will be I think fifth, sixth year, uh, fifth year, I think um, you they're OK taking two. And they would have nothing wrong with taking Chris Parson as I understand it, like they like Chris. Again, this isn't like an indictment on like not thinking he's a quality player or person. It's just wonder if he has it like to the extent to 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 elevate uh the program as much as Florida State needs it to be elevated right now at that specific position so like he's your, I had one person a coach at, at another staff he' not not at Florida State but I was just po- trying to pick their brain on uh quarterback recruiting and I'd asked them about chris Parsons. they thought he would be for a power five program like a Florida State caliber uh an ideal number two quarterback and I think that's how the FSU staff feels about him just based on their actions i think they think he'd be a great number two to have in a class and you see how he develops and maybe does become a starting power five quarterback uh, but if you were to get someone like brock glenn I, I think he's kind of the apple of fsu's eye right now i know it's an old man uh, idiom there but I, I think he's the guy that florida state wants and covets the most right now of any player in the country that they view as attainable he's from memphis there's a lot of ties that this coaching staff whether it's mike Norvell, tony tokars uh, Justin Kraus, Cooper Williams, some off-field guys. Like, there's a lot of guys who are at Memphis who have relations, uh, relationships with the uh, Memphis area still, and coaches in there, and they're familiar with Brock Glenn. He's someone they liked. I think he just kind of keeps getting better. Uh, the more people see him, the more they watch him in person. He's someone who's like uh, certainly ascending as a recruit. Has uh, done well in the Elite 11 regional circuit. So yeah, if he if he enters the class bed, I think. Well, I think that would probably ultimately like push Chris out by his own choosing. Uh, but I think Florida State would be okay taking both of them. But I, I think to me, Brock Led would be the guy who's like, that's the coup. That's the score. That's the guy that they want to get in the class. And they maybe want to say this, but he would be like the number one on their board of of them feeling good about that position group, probably over Chris Parson in this recruiting cycle. <sighs>
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot to break down. There. I guess my next question for you then would be um, the, the worry I have about this whole quarterback recruiting cycle is not that they're going after, you know, they, they should be going after Brock Lentz, right? They should be looking into these other quarterbacks with Chris Parson wavering. I mean, it, it's just a part of the game, right? You can't sit there and wait for something to happen. You have to make your own luck in these situations, but if, if you were to say one is more likely than the other, what do you think is more likely that they have no quarterbacks out of this next recruiting class or that they have two? Oh, that's a good question.
1: Uh, I ultimately like, don't think they'll end up with two. Like I know they're okay taking two, um, but this is hard. Yeah. there's a but. Yeah. It's hard to have two quarterbacks in a class uh, now these days. Uh, I think it's more likely that they'll have zero than, than two. And you would have to rely on the transfer portal which a lot of coaches are okay relying on the quarterback, like the chess portal for a quarterback. There's some theory that it, it, it's probably more advantageous to do that than to try to do homegrown because if someone doesn't start within two years, they're leaving anyways, and you allocated all this practice right. time to it. So, uh, yeah, I, I think what we're seeing is their way of being aggressive, but kind of in a – it's not passive aggressive, but like in a passive way of them being aggressive. They're kind of allowing Chris to go ahead and take visits, and if he wants out, like to kind of go out on his own terms while trying to upgrade the position group i think that either ricky collins or brocklin would be an upgrade while knowing there's a roll of the dice that they could end up with zero uh, high school recruits which i don't think is a great look but i'm also like i had the conversation with with with, uh josh uh, newberg uh just on the phone one day because he was like you're you're kind of underselling he thought i was underselling the potential of not landing a quarterback in this class or or chris parsons decommitting my whole theory here ben is like all these guys we're talking about, and I like Brock Glenn, and I think Ricky Collins has a ton of upside. I think Chris Parsons solid. I don't think any of these guys are are job savers for Mike Norvell. Like if we're talking about back to your initial question of this being 2022, uh, being a big season for Mike Norvell and on the roster is this a good enough spot for them to take a step forward. Even if say they win seven games and then you go into the the 2023 campaign, like Brock Glenn's not probably starting as a true freshman to then help you take the next step. So it'd be more optics than anything, which do matter. Uh, But yeah, I don't view anyone that they're currently in for right now as a a instant impact player, or even someone that you can go to boosters and say, Hey, like I got this guy who's going to be a surefire, you know, first round traffic, we just need time. So to me, it's like, not that this is inconsequential. uh, It just, it, it would look, worse that I think it actually in reality is if you do end up with zero. That being said, you don't want to end up with zero. You want one. I just, I, it doesn't make me lose sleep at night. Like I think it does some people. Does does that make sense? Yeah, no,
0: it, it does. It's not the end of the world if they don't end up with anyone in this class because I think, you know, just looking at the Parson uh, FSU relationships specifically, it's, it's kind of like they're in the dating stage right now, but they're flirting with other people, right? You know, FSU is going out there getting drinks with some other quarterbacks. Uh, Chris Parsons going out there talking to Mississippi State. So I, I think there's a clear willingness for on Florida State's part to go out and get those other guys. And that just goes to show you that, like you said, they don't feel like Chris Parson is going to be the end-all be-all recruitment you know it's not the end of the world if things don't go the right way or or if they end up with no one like we're talking about
1: what do they call it when i'm trying to remember what like a divorced couple like takes a break and they kind of go see other people but they're still together oh, they, they separate a separation it's a trial separation is kind of like what this feels like without necessarily calling right. it that it's like where everyone's kind of looking around and stuff but um yeah, it, it typically like uh, not to not to be a downer here, but when couples do that, it's probably not a great sign uh, for that relationship working out in the long run if you're already at that point in, in the relationship. So, uh, yeah, I think that's where we're at. I, I think there is a yeah, I a I don't know if it's a tense, like a fracture with Chris Parson in Florida State, but. Again, I go back to this. I think I'd be surprised if he were to sign with the Seminoles in December. I just, it doesn't feel like, none of this feels like that's the direction this is going. in fact, it feels like it, it's very much so going and the opposite. It felt like it's felt like that for a little while since the spring, but obviously the, the offers that Florida State put out uh, with the other quarterbacks has expedited things rapidly.
0: Yeah. And one more quarterback discussion I wanted to touch on, and I, I talked about this in a previous video a lot, so I kind of just want to get your two cents on it, is you talked about Jordan Travis. You said it seems like this will be his final season. That's what the staff seems like they're preparing for. And I, I guess how how certain are you of that? Because, you know, looking into the future, if if they're not going to be getting that next quarterback, that 2023 guy – like you said, I mean, the transfer portal is always a possibility, but with Jordan Travis and his future, I guess, how sure are you that this will be his last year or that the staff is in a place that they feel like this is his last year?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm sure that the the staff is planning for that possibility. Uh, that's the best way I can phrase it, is that they understand that there's a very real chance of that, and I think the way they're recruiting currently uh, is indicating it. Uh, I have spoke to people on multiple levels of the program that uh, have indicated this will probably be Jordan Travis's last year. Now there's things that can change that, right? Like he'd come out and he, if he plays awful, like he might say, I want to try it again. Uh, and they would maybe be okay with that. Or if he comes out and he gets hurt early on and says, I want to, you know, give this one more shot then. Yeah. But, but I think, yeah, you know, he might come back another year, but I think the likelihood that he's here at Florida state in 2023 is, is low. I, I think very much. So, you know, he's, preparing us this is his final year uh some people are gonna laugh at that and scoff and be like oh he's not an nfl caliber quarterback like you know you then try telling try telling an alpha athlete who's been in the top 99th percentile in everything they've done their entire life that they're not going to make it you know what i mean um so yeah and also again he's gone through injury issues he's in his what? he's 22 20 he'll be 23 i think pretty soon uh or he's at least 22 but regardless like this could be time like he's he's done it he's really plays the physical style of football takes a lot of shots. Um Yeah. I don't, I don't foresee him playing at Florida state again in, in 2023 right now.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, kind of the double-edged sword of that discussion, like you discussed is the fact that if he does go down, it's more likely than not that the staff probably isn't going to be here because if, if Jordan Travis isn't playing this season, in my opinion, things aren't going to go the right way. And it is going to be a very ugly season. So it is so Jordan Travis dependent in 2022. Um, And I I mean, his future, what happens is going to determine a lot of what happens going forward.
1: The the offense with him is like legitimately like a top 40 offense, which is not great, but that's fine. Right. You can get to what you need to with him from Win laws perspective in the top 40, when he's not there, it's like 110 or so. Like you're talking about the difference of an above average offense versus one of the worst in in college football. And, yes yeah, so J-Trav's a pretty important uh, piece to the puzzle for sure.
0: Yeah. He, I, in my opinion, I don't think he gets enough credit. And especially seeing him in the practice atmosphere that we get to see him in, Brendan, mm-hmm. that's that's not the best atmosphere for him to perform at his best because you take away some of his best tools, and he is still, ability, yeah, yeah, he's still by far and away that guy at quarterback. Like there is not even a thought process or a discussion. In my opinion, it is end of discussion. George Travis is the guy.
1: They, I mean, statistically, and it can be tough to measure stuff. They had probably one of the worst receiving cores in power five this past year. And they had one of the worst offensive lines for the injuries we talked about, or because of the injuries we talked about earlier in power five. And he somehow was a top 40 quarterback and passer rating and passer efficiency. Right. I know the stats don't tell the entire story and they, they had to do things to kind of protect him, And he's got some limitations as a passer, but uh, if you put him on a roster loaded with skilled talent, I, I think he would be a, a good quarterback that most people in the college football world know about rather than this guy who the fan base is is split on
0: exactly and that's been my whole thing with jordan travis is we don't really get to see him be the at his best ability we don't get to see him at his at his best because um like like you just have such a lack of talent in that receiving room brenton that Mm -hmm. I, i to me he his arm talent i really don't think he's as limited as even you might be alluding to i really think like I'm not saying he's Aaron Rodgers or something like that. Like he doesn't have the most insane arm talent in the world, but he has more than enough arm talent to me to where he is a fringe NFL guy. If things break the right way, I think he's going to get that interest at the pro level because of the the, the tools the that he has and- available to him. Yeah. If
1: he if he if he takes another step forward this year, I don't think that's a crazy, I don't think it's out of bounds to be like, Oh, there's some NFL skills. I mean, he's going to make it in the NFL, right? It just means like someone right. would say, Hey, he can, he, he can get the ball downfield. Uh, he's got some nice charisma to him and he's athletic. Oh, and he's gotten better year over year. Like if you combine all those things, then yeah, I think someone would, would roll the dice in him at some point or another, whether it's late in the draft or on draft free agent. Like, yeah, I, I'm with you. He's, He has gotten – I mean, from when he got here in 2019, I remember that spring, Ben, like he was – him throwing in the wind was hard to watch. Like the wind was kicking his ass. And there were people inside the program like, this kid just doesn't have it. And you saw his confidence torpedo. And what Kenny Dillingham and Mike Norvell did with him was – one of the more impressive things i've seen covering this program in terms of just turning around a a fractured broken player and making him in my opinion i mean serviceable but in my opinion like good like he's he's a he's a good power five quarterback or at least right there in that conversation people who think he's part of the issue people who think he's uh, hindering the offense I don't think they know what they're looking at in the no. full scope of things. Sorry. I know that's condescending, but like, I, I don't think there's anyone around college football who thinks Jordan Travis is a bad quarterback. That's, that's a you problem at that point. If, if you think he's, he's hindering the offense.
0: No, I, I 100% agree with you. I think it's actually the opposite that the offense or the lack of talent around him might be hindering, it's hindering him. Tryouts, yeah. right? it, and that's always been the thing with me, especially I mean, this offseason, right, we saw the improvement in the receiving room, but they don't have a number one wide receiver. They have a guy who's going to be a number one wide receiver, but they don't have true receiving talent to be able to really show off what Jordan can do. Um, And I don't think he'll even get that. He's just not going to get that opportunity in his career at FSU. And I think that's unfortunate because I think he's a really talented player. But mm-hmm. um, that that's enough, Jordan Travis. I, I don't want to I don't want to keep drawing on about him. But uh, we do have one question before we get in towards the end of our discussion. Uh, Brad's asking you said, what record do you think FSU needs to have this year to get more attention from those top tier talent? You know, we talked about them missing out on those star players. They have that great depth. Where do they need to get to to get those top end talent players?
1: Mm. All right, so part – all right, I feel bad. Like, a lot of the answers I'm giving you, I feel like they're not just these uh, simple ones because I think there, there's some nuance and some layers to hey, this. Hey, but... no,
0: no, Brendan, listen. I am all about the nuance. That's why all right, we're having these discussions. That's why this isn't on Twitter. Up. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's true. There's no workout here. here. Uh, so, you know, last year, like, I think those are pretty clear. Like, if you won six or seven games, like, you were going to put yourself in position for, like, a, a Marvin Jones Jr. Um, – kevin coleman uh i mean travis hunter happened and i think if you had got off to a better start like maybe you prevent some of the looking around and the wandering eye at the end uh, this year i think you're already starting in a bit of a hole because of what's happened previously the recruiting momentum which does legitimately exist like covering recruiting like you can you can feel it you can talk to different recruits, different coaches, and, and can sense when there's a buzz versus when there isn't. I, I mean,
0: Brendan, look, Texas is back today, right? I, oh, they I got mean, it, I
1: saw that. It, wow. it
0: happens almost like, what, 20, 30 minutes before we started. So, I mean, you know, we're talking about FSU having to decide between quarterbacks. Texas has two five-star quarterbacks right now. So momentum can just flip like yeah. that, right? So it can it can change so quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean the Travis Hunter thing I thought was—I uh, call it the thing—like uh, minimizes it. I mean that was devastating and just for the optics, like it, it made FSU not cool to go to. Really, is kind of like as as I viewed it. Like I remember that day, the, the next day thinking about it. You know, I was talking to Berg on the phone and I was like, "Man, it feels like FSU got demoted like down a tier uh, in the college football ranks." Like it just as cool as Tra- Travis under was making it cool to go to Florida state, despite some of the issues and like the way it happened made it where FSU was a laughingstock. And I mean you can't get back to there. Like you said, it all can change like that. But I think FSU is in the point now and it's rebuilt with Mike Norvell where it has to kind of create its own momentum. It can't just be based on the recruiting trail. Like it has to be on the field, which brings us back to what we started with uh, in our conversation is you have to win games this year. So getting to Brad's, Question, you know, seven or eight, I think, gets you to where, like, maybe if you get to eight wins, depending on how that looks, maybe that helps you close on some of the blue chip guys you're in on now. Maybe it gives you a little bit more juice, like some, like a Roger Kearney, a DJ Chester, like these blue chip offensive linemen that you're in on, Shelton Sampson, like it, it allows it to be like a more, FSU a more viable, something they can validate going to over a, a more established program at the moment. Uh, But to really get in the place where you're getting those four and five stars on campus consistently into the like just the sheer mass like numbers game where you need like a bunch of them showing up. I don't think it really matters a ton for the 2023 cycle. I think it's then if you have a good, you know, eight win season this year, like maybe helps close on some guys, but really then it kind of allows you to get a little bit more juice in the 24 cycle. Now, if you go ahead and really like surprise some people and win some close games and get to ten wins, then yeah, I think that changes the math a lot. Like, but that's we're looking at what like maybe a five percent chance of that happening. Like, that's that's a lower, lower odd proposition. You having to win in a pretty tough schedule and a tough uh, Atlantic this year. So, uh, yeah, Brad, I I think you have to win seven or eight games this year to kind of give yourself a chance in the 2024 class. Uh, I think anything short of like just really overachieving getting to like double digit wins probably doesn't do a ton for like overhauling your total recruiting efforts uh, in the 23 cycle.
0: And that's fair. And I, I think, you know, talking, you, you touched on that Atlantic division, how tough this season is going to be in this schedule. I kind of want to go right towards there. And, you know, I, I, before we started this, I, I told you, I wanted to end our discussion by talking about, you know, some of the goals that fsu might have some realistic goals and some worries that we might have for them so well let's let's go the optimistic route first because it has been maybe a little pessimistic the last 10 years. no so let, let, let's bring it back around
1: right well, i just okay. told people if they don't like jordan travis they're idiots i don't think it's pessimistic you know i think i'm i'm being no, very defensive of the quarterback who i think is good
0: yeah no that's that's very fair but to be overly optimistic, let's Ooh. talk about some real some let's let's talk about some goals for this team in 2022.
1: Okay.
0: This schedule is I think insanely hard to be to be honest. I, I think there are nice parts in the schedule where FSU can gain momentum, but if they don't carry that momentum in the month of October, it's gonna mean nothing, Brendan. Because you look at that three-game stretch they have after Boston College, those first three games of October it's a gauntlet and I, I, I guess for, for, for me, when I was kind of looking at the season, I feel like, you know, that pivotal point is, are those three games are, you know, how does that look? If, if you're going to be winning or losing those games, what's the feel? How, how do you look compared to some of the ACC's best teams right now? So, so
1: you're, you're talking about the, so I'm pulling up the schedule. You're talking about the after Boston, you're talking about Wake Forest home at NC state and Clemson at home. Yes. That's yes. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's, that's a big doozy. I mean that's it's so weird too they have one, two, three, four five Atlantic division games in a row from September 16th to October 15th. So in the span of a month, uh, you're basically your conference fate is decided. Exactly, which is kind and of one, ins- and the, one and the one <laughs> no, and the one known crappy team is in the Atlantic. you don't play until November in Syracuse. you're right you're subpar uh, out of division. Opponent, Georgia Tech, you don't get to late October. Yeah, man, the beginning of the, the beginning of the schedule. Yeah, but we said this last year too. It's like, oh, if you don't start well, like, you know, the the back half of the season could be devastated. And it was the exact opposite. So we don't really know, right? But yeah, okay. So sorry, I just want to make sure we got the oh, my schedule is socks. Wow. uh it, it really
0: does. I mean, but I, I guess, you know, for that part of the season when they're I, I think to me, you know, you leave that Boston College game probably around two and two. Maybe one win more, maybe one win less, depending on if there's any craziness, any overtimes, any really close games. But let's say they're two and two heading into that stretch, Brendan. Okay. For the rest of the season, and I don't know if you have the schedule pulled up right now. I do. But, I you do. Know, okay, good, good. Because I want to ask if they are two and two from that point on, how do you feel like the rest of the season is going to play out? What do you think is a realistic, like optimistic goal for
1: this? If team? You start two and two. I think two and two is probably like, I think two and two, I think, so first off, two and two, I think is kind of like on schedule for where you could be. Uh, If you could start three and one, I think that's great. I think you feel really good about that, whether that's a win against LSU or uh, two conference wins. Like, I think either way, like that gives you something. I think that Louisville game is going to be difficult uh at Louisville I don't think that's well and of
0: course Brendan this is assuming that they're gonna beat their FCS opponent this year
1: that's true I don't want to take that for granted
0: (laughs) you you were well I mean I was too so I'm not even gonna pretend like I wasn't but as I heard you talking about that I'm like that's one of those things we (laughs) we gotta keep it in mind from here on out yeah I mean it was a
1: As much as, like, I I feel like I get some crap for, like, defending the staff a lot on Twitter. And it's basically because I'm there at the practices and and see, like, guys actual – I could see actual progression, like, day to day, whereas I think fans can maybe see it, like, week to week or maybe it even takes, like, a little bit longer. Uh, And so, like, I just – I could see things getting better. And to me, like, that's noteworthy. It doesn't excuse some of the recruiting uh, deficiencies they have. I'm not saying this is a perfect staff. But what I am saying is uh, that with this football program, like, I I, I do feel like I can – I like some of the upper trajectory of the development portion of the program under Mike Norvell. Uh, That being said that Jacksonville state game was, uh, it's one of the few times where I could say like that was self-inflicted where, where Mike and company screwed up. It wasn't a circumstance. It wasn't a bad luck deal. It was them trying to force some things, trying to figure out things. They took their opponent lightly and, yeah. and I don't think what I'm saying is like something that, that I would get a ton of pushback for either. Mm-hmm. I think they know that. So anyways, yeah. So Duquesne, let's assume they beat Duquesne. Okay. All right. So we're at two and two here. Mm-hmm. I, I think Wake Forest takes a step back. I know they bring back their starting quarterback and a lot of their offense, but I think like we saw them kind of come to reality, like a little bit at the end of last season, and I don't think Florida State was like that game last year at Wake Forest was super fluky. I think if you have Jordan Travis, if you have like this identity and established like idea of what you are in that game and you're not going back and forth, like I think you probably hang with Wake Forest. So I think that game at home I actually feel decent about I think like 55% chance of Florida State winning that, especially if they're two and two and they, have you know, maybe won two conference games or a conference game in Duke. Oh, I see what you said me now about the math I was doing. Yeah, that was dumb. Um. So anyways. All right. Going down to the line. Uh, what do we got? NC State. That's that's probably a loss. I think NC State's pretty good yeah, and that's a tough place lost. to play. Uh, Clemson, I mean, yeah, I don't know why people assume like you went to Death Valley last year and hung with them. I think you ultimately probably still lose this game, but like, I don't think this is, you're necessarily going to be outclassed. Um, but I'll, I'll put that as a loss, so you're now three and four. Three and four.
0: Yeah, three and four
1: uh georgia tech at home i'll win four and four miami on the road i'll put that as a loss four and five syracuse on the road win five and five uh louisiana i think it's you six wins bowl eligibility we're back Yay. uh and then florida i mean florida's got kind of an interesting team they have a new coaching staff i think billy napier is a, a pretty solid coach i i do like a lot of what he's done i think he's also kind of a strange cat and we'll see like just what the culture of that program is like right now they lose a lot that's a winnable game for Florida state. So, um, and I gets us. I think it's like, I think this is a six and six or seven win team most realistically been. And I think I'm leaning closer to seven. So I guess in my exercise here, I say that's a win at the end of the year. So, so if you start two and two, I think as long as the wheels don't fall off emotionally, I think seven wins is still achievable, um, but there's a lot of coin flip games here as well. Yeah. I think it's worth noting. What yeah, do you have?
0: I'm right there with you. I think, seven and five is, is right on schedule. Like like you said earlier, two and two is on schedule for that part of the season, but they do have so many of those coin flip games where you're looking at it, Brendan, and you're like, well, they could win this game, but if they don't win this game, then what's going to be the consequences of that, right? If they don't right. win this game, things start trending the wrong way. The ball starts, you know, it's the, it starts rolling down the hill and, and the momentum just starts building in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. I could see how things could very well go to where, you know, how they were at the end of last season, where they lose a Florida game that, right, that they should you. just win. Right. So I, I think it's going to be one of those things where it's very close. And I, I genuinely think it's 50, 50 between six wins and seven wins. But yeah, so I, I think that's where I'm at with, with, with that. And I guess for you, and when when you're looking at those coin flip games of the games you consider 50 50, mm-hmm. which do you think would be the most crucial okay. for 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 FSU?
1: So yeah, uh, one thing I saw the that October stretch that you outlined, I think that's totally realistic. I feel like that's brutal and that could be season defining, especially in the context of like you know ACC conference standings and you know if you maybe punch above your weight class in some areas of the season, like maybe actually competing for a division crown. I know that. Sounds a little hyperbolic, but like that's not crazy. No. Uh, if you if you take care of business and say you go four and one in that stretch, and all of a sudden you're in the driver's seat just based on the teams you're playing. Uh, but if we're like one game that I want to kind of push back a little on, that, like I think is super important, I don't want to overlook it. Just in terms of like that momentum you established. I think when we talk about this being a coin flip coin flip game, this is important uh florida state lsu like i think that that Mm. as a tone setter and just even just to be like ah we beat an sec school to be able to go and say that in the locker room uh for that to be a nationally televised game and then you have a bye week so you get kind of like all that time to kind of sit on that and marinate versus if it's a loss like i think that's a really really big game for the mike norvell era uh for this particular season and to, to really, I mean, let's say you beat Duquesne like you should. I mean, to start two and zero, like all of a sudden, man, and that, and that win includes uh, an SEC program. I think all of a sudden that you're talking about like that that changes the math of what the season could be, right. and that's really important in, in my opinion. Especially if people are trying to change the long term you know, outlook of of the Mike Norvell era and you know, contract extensions, recruiting momentum. Beating LSU, I think, is a, a would be a big step forward for for FSU.
0: Yeah, um, I didn't think I was gonna say LSU, but I think you changed. Like, mm. you changed my mind, Brendan. I, I, LSU, especially like you said, given the optics of the situation, given how last season started, going to an O and beating an SEC team basically in home territory. Which, by the way, I don't know if you're gonna be in New Orleans for Brendan or New Orleans for that game, Brendan. Mm-hmm. I plan to be. I think it's gonna be a good time. But you gonna have a hand um, grenade?
1: You're gonna get a little oh, crazy on Bourbon Street. Oh,
0: of, of course, man. I well, I didn't get to go during my uh, my college tenure. I, you know, I was I just graduated May first, so like having Congrats. to deal with the whole COVID situation, I never got to go to uh, New Orleans. So I'm really excited for that opportunity. Uh, but,
1: you can go to Bourbon Street now and contract something else. I'm sure if you if oh, you have enough fun.
0: Hey, if I try hard enough, I'm sure I could. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Brendan, um. So LSU, LSU though, LSU. Um, Sorry, back on topic. No, 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 no. I just, I don't want to get too off the rails with this, um, but uh, I think you're right because, I mean, beating an SEC team, and it, obviously it depends in the, on the fashion that it happens in, but let's say even they have, they lose, which I think kind of is the expectation. I believe right now LSU is actually favored in the game by like three and a half points, or four about. Um, if it is a 3 point game if it's a one score game and it looks similar to how maybe some of the losses they had last year like Notre Dame, Notre Dame let's say, yeah. if, if it is that kind of game I mean I, I still don't think it's the end of the world right I, I still don't think it's such a negative momentum builder that you feel like the season is off its course but I think right. what you're saying is and, and I, I and then correct me if, if I'm wrong but getting that LSU game would be the kind of positive momentum that would help out wipe out a lot of the bad luck that's just gone their way these past two years.
1: Yeah. I think the way, yeah, I I think there's more that could go. So there's more that could go right from that game than I think could go wrong like I think if you lose LSU okay. like you have a chance to still like have get to that seven win threshold like I don't think that precludes you from it again with the ACC games I I do recall back in 2019 it was year two of Willie Taggart, in the staff like that that staff internally was uh, was building up a lot of momentum and a lot of uh, they're putting a lot of hype internally on the Boise state game. Like they're basically dubbing that internally, like it's their super bowl. And so like the way that was being established, like we knew like if they, if they win this game, like, okay, like if you put that, if you're putting all your eggs in that basket, like that could maybe get you you over the hump to, to all of a sudden, you know, finding some, some positive momentum. Conversely, uh, the converse side of that though, if you lose that, there's potential for the wheels to fall off. And if you recall correctly, that there was that hangover, game against uh it was louisiana monroe and they had some other just poor performances they lost to virginia uh, and then i think they started off like one and three if i'm not mistaken i Um, was
0: actually at that uh season opener virginia tech game with my dad actually it was my first year at fsu i remember that so vividly uh that that was that was a it's just funny seeing how things were then to see how things were now. Because I, I remember even like, you know, my dad, he's, he's a football fan. Uh, he's not, he, I wouldn't call him a casual football fan, right? But he's not, you know, so deep into the X's nose. We're watching the first quarter and he's looking at how the staff is interacting with the kids. And he's like, doesn't seem like anyone knows what's going on right now, the staff or the kids. So I, I just, you know, to, to bring that around, this team has come a long way from where they were then. Right. Yeah, they are. They are absolutely headed in the direction they need to be headed in.
1: From a developmental standpoint, yeah, I agree. You know, I, I think the roster that you still have, you don't have like some of the star power that you did. Uh, you know, you had Cam Akers in twenty nineteen, you had Brian Burns in twenty eighteen. Uh, that's you know, ultimately where you have to start winning these games for it to to go back into that range. And there's only so much I think that you. There's a cap that you're putting on yourself if you're not recruiting at a high enough level, and that'll eventually will and the Mike Norvell era sooner than, than it probably should if he doesn't get it done on the recruiting trail. But uh, from a developmental standpoint, culturally, you saw like the APR academics, like, yeah, there's there's good things happening at Florida State because of Mike Norvell's leadership, for Yeah, sure.
0: and, and I think even if things don't work out in terms of the football team winning the games they need to win in order to get Mike securing his future, I, I, I still feel that this team is and will be in a much better place than they were when he got here. Culturally, and, and
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: one of the things that, you know, I think people just take for granted a little bit about this whole Mike Norvell era that, that we're in right now is that the culture he's been able to establish, I think is so important, bringing in Alex Atkins to me. Like, I, I don't know about you, Brendan, but when we get to go to practice and everything, we get to see up close and personal my favorite guy to watch is Alex Atkins. Man, yeah, he is a pleasure I was, to watch. I was
1: at the big man camp yesterday for youth office you know, for high school offensive of linemen. And just watching him even with the the youth lineman. Like, yeah, I think he's I really like him. Uh, I love listening to Adam Fuller talk about football. Uh I think he's really bright and it explains the game obviously all these coaches know infinitely more than any of us like on the outside looking to ever know about it Uh, i I feel like i have to say that because sometimes i think people forget forget that but the way that adam is able to like explain the game like i find you know his methods to be really really strong so yeah alex atkins and, and adam fuller too that i enjoy like hearing about the game of football from for sure it makes sense that they're both coordinators right they're they're obviously ascending in their profession for a reason
0: Yeah. And I think in particular, like, I like not to, I'm not trying to discount Adam full. I'm just saying with Atkins, especially to me, he has future head coach written all over him. He is just a natural leader. Um, Yeah. He'll he'll be, he'll be a head coach. coach.
1: He'll be a head coach sooner or later, the way he recruits, uh, the way he interacts, the way he coaches. Uh, Yeah. He, he, uh, to steal Chris he checks a lot of the boxes for sure.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, But I do want to, ends our overall discussion and first of all i have to say you know thank you brandon because this has been a pleasure so far and and i hope we get to do more of these in the future because i love having the collaboration between the different outlets and getting different perspectives like i said when i first messaged you about doing this i love hearing from people who are in the know and who are seeing all kinds of different things and you know having logan robinson on having you on I want to continue to have uh, this, these kind of discussions. So I'm glad we got to do this today, Brendan, uh, and mm-hmm. for everyone, really go over to the goals, 24, seven, go read Brendan's latest 36 through 40 list for Florida state's yeah, most important players countdown. in the season. I, I'm not, I'm going to try and get number one out of you now, Brendan, just because no, I, I no. you know, I'm a journalist. I have to try. I, you know, I'll just put some names out there and, mm-hmm. and you can give me some faces or, or whatever, Jamie Robinson, how's he landed on that list? <laughs> seems like I did a seems like I did a good job pressing the right buttons. Uh, uh, no, it's uh, my not- poker
1: face. I don't want to give anything away.
0: Oh uh, yeah, sure. No, I'm I'm just gonna say, look, I in particular, I'm big. I'm a big fan, and I think I'm some of the biggest, one of the biggest supporters in the media of not only Jamie. But Akeem Dent as well. I think those two is a duo in particular. And I hope I see Akeem high on your list as well. Um, I think those two in particular are gonna be really excellent this season. Uh, and I did a whole deep film dive on
1: them. Mm-hmm. I think those guys are superstars, in my opinion. Uh but you know, Jamie Robinson this offseason, like he's always been pretty built, but um but he's big. He's he's uh this is a money year for, for him, and you can tell he's taking it very, very, very seriously.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think FSU is going to have two day one, day two DBs Ooh. in the draft. So All right. that's – hey, that's my opinion. I already saw Hakeem Dent is top 100 on PFF's big board. So it's not just Jamie who's getting the attentions. both of them. Uh, but to end this, Brendan, we're going to be a little pessimistic. We're going to be warriors because I think – you know, naturally getting to know you a little more, especially over this, getting to interact with you a little bit at practice. I think we're both natural warriors, <laughs> if I can go out on a limb. Um, but what is your biggest kind of initial concern for 2022? If things don't go the right way for this staff, um, if, we're, if we're, you know, end of 2022, end of the season, we're saying, wow, things did not go the way they needed to go. Why is that?
1: Uh, this might be a spoiler alert for number one on the most important list. If Jordan Travis were to miss a significant amount of time, I think that would be a pretty uh, a pretty catastrophic turn of events for Florida State. And unfortunately, like, uh, not to put this out there, the universe is like, he's someone who's had injury issues. So it's like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he's, you know, there is a level of gambling that Florida State has with like unproven commodities Behind him, with Tate Rodamaker and Rotomaker and, and AJ Duffy, the staff likes both those guys. I think they're really, really high on uh, the progress they saw with Tate, and and they like AJ long term too. Uh, I'm less bullish on both of them. Yeah. I'm big Jordan Travis fan. Oh yeah, um, yeah. If Jordan were to get hurt and miss a significant amount of time, I think that would be fairly catastrophic. Just we mentioned earlier in the pod, like he. With him, you're uh, above average offense, and maybe with some of the additions you've made this off season, even if it's not like great proven players, like you're at least making bottom tier positions at least below average. Um, right. You could maybe push to be like a top thirty offense, and that with the veteran defense, like, is enough to maybe win seven or eight games and and push and start you know overachieving a little bit. Uh, without Jordan Travis, though, like. Yeah, that gives yeah. me that was what would keep me up at night. I guess if I were uh, if I were a betting person or a coach, yeah, that would be be tough to envision him losing. You know, losing him for any extended period of time.
0: Yeah, no, I think you nailed that because you look like we were talking about earlier with the schedule. Those coin flick games against LSU uh, in, that, in that October schedule later in the season. If you're starting Tate or Rodemaker in those games, um, I have a lot less confidence in in what mike norvell's future is going to be like at the program mm-hmm. so I, I yeah i think jordan travis i mean it is up to him and you know i i feel like we're not tipping off your list too much Brendan, because i feel like jordan travis the, the we know he is that guy Jordan number
1: one spoiler alert <laughs> Can yeah. i get number
0: two no okay okay fair yeah. enough
1: fair enough tw- give me them oh. give me them summer clicks
0: Hey, I at least got number one out of you, which I said I would try and do, and I accomplished, so I'm glad I did. Um, Brendan, this was so much fun, man, and honestly, I I keep going, but uh, the headphones that I have on right now just told me they're about to die. Oh, God. We've been going at this for a while, so I don't want this to end uh, in a bad fashion, because this has been such a pleasure to talk to you, Brendan. If if everyone's looking for your work, they can find it on on the bench, of course, but is there anything – Else that people should look out for in the future? Anything that you want to plug?
1: Uh, Definitely please check out our Knowles 24 7 YouTube channel. We've been trying to amp that up. We had the Exes and Knowles guys come over. Sorry about that. I know this is a sore subject. Uh, But obviously, check out what they do on Exes and Knowles. So that's technically independent of Knowles 24 7, but they're doing content for us as well uh, on our Knowles 24 7 YouTube page, just at Knowles 24 7. AB has been really, really good writing. uh, And yeah, I've been really impressed with that. And obviously Kev knows his stuff. And, and we're gonna start integrating them more into the podcast too. So yeah, it's an addition that, that we're really excited about and it's been really pleasant so far here in June. So that's the only thing that's new. You gotta check out knowles 24/7 YouTube page and just that, obviously the website too.
0: Yeah, and we have a lot of people watching today. So if you haven't already, make sure you go check out Brendan and I on Twitter. The link is in the description. Make sure you like. Uh, this video, you subscribe to the channel. I'll be putting out a lot more content as we ramp up to the FSU season, as we get into fall camp. Brendan, we got a lot to cover coming up here. Uh, so, thank you for everyone that's watching today. I'll see you back in a couple of weeks uh, in July once things are starting to heat up again. And maybe by then, Brendan, there might be a new FSU recruit by then or a new quarterback. We'll see how things we'll pan see out. That's the
1: tease. Let's see.
0: Uh, thank you though, and uh, peace out.